Welcome to the Sensualchemy School podcast, where we explore grief, pleasure, and the sometimes messy, always beautiful paradox that exists between the two. Here, as we center the experience of our wise bodies through the archetypal feminine, we ask, within a culture that perceives emotional, intuitive, and creative intelligence as inferior and avoids pain at all costs, what if grief were our compass and pleasure our medicine? My name is Kate Leeper, and I'm so grateful you're here. Hello, and welcome back to the Sensual Alchemy School podcast. I am so excited that you are here, that you are back. It truly means so much. Thank you. And today I'm getting personal, friends. <laughs> In episode one, I really wanted to give you the lay of the land when it comes to some of the Sensual Alchemy School's philosophies, particularly around grief and pleasure. And as it connects, this idea of creative feminine leadership. So if you haven't yet listened to episode one, I'd recommend revisiting it because I give you some pretty countercultural reframes specific to grief and the possibilities available to us when we untangle ourselves from the ideas that our society holds and the ways that we then have been conditioned to fear, pathologize and reject our own personal grief and on a greater scale, collective experiences of grief. But today, as I said, I want to share with you how I got here to founding the Sensual Alchemy School of Embodied Grief and Pleasure and speaking to you about what I believe to be revolutionary ways of meeting loss, pain, and the plethora of complex human experiences in the body to rewire our understanding of aliveness and develop a greater capacity for all the beauty and lusciousness that life has to offer. So I guess to give you a little context, I'm a white hetero, although that feels a little constraining to me these days as well, a cisgendered woman without any significant disabilities. And I grew up in Australia where I still currently reside. And I feel like it's important to point out these details because they immediately highlight my unearned privilege. And this isn't lost on me, particularly when it comes to exploring the nuances of human experience like safety, accessibility, discrimination, financial stability, and all the socio-political factors that we really have to take into consideration, particularly if we work in the field of embodiment and wellness. And so I grew up the eldest of five children two girls and sorry, three girls and two boys back to front. And my parents divorced when I was 18. So I lived in a household where, although I never questioned whether I was loved or safe, there was a certain level of tension 
and hostility in the air that I remember being aware of since I was about 10, that I now understand as the energy that was being emitted as a result of the deep divide and friction that existed between my parents. And I feel like I always had a a relatively close and trusting relationship with both my mum and dad. However, I think both the inevitable responsibility that comes with being the eldest of five and also my personal tendency to strive to be seen as the perfect, shiny, good girl. P.S. I'm a Virgo rising, you know, you, you know, if you know, <laughs> this kind of set me up to excel as someone who was always trying to be one step ahead, anticipating the moods of others and performing in ways that would suppress my true feelings or desires to ensure that I didn't rock the boat too much. And it's interesting because I pretty much came out of the womb singing, dancing and acting. And this earned me from a very young age, the label of drama queen in my family, which now at 39 and after many, many years of disentangling myself from some of these internal prisons, I'm super happy to embrace. I'm all over the drama queen, right? I'm now all about living into my too muchness. But back then and when I first really begun to understand the implications of some of these labels about a decade ago, it shone a light on some of the ways in which I'd been operating as a woman in my relationships, career choices, and in the world in general. And it always carried this fear of being too much for people, too emotional, too intense, too theatrical. And so I spent a lot of energy on performing a more pretty palatable version of myself to fulfill this need to belong, I guess. And from my my teenage years all the way, really up until my early 30s, I believed that fully expressing myself, revealing my messy humanness, my sensual nature and my unscented creativity meant risking being liked, you know, it, it was like, it was too risky because if I wasn't seen as being put together, accomplished, or, you know, like all my shit was (laughs) tight, then I suppose at the heart of it, it was, yeah, I was risking love. So where I won't go into loads of details in this episode, I'm sure that I'll be, I'll be delving into lots more of this territory in the future. But I did want to share that for me, the shame of my too muchness, which was reinforced at school, um, you know, around me and advertising and TV shows, you name it. it. It wasn't just teaching me how I should look, dress and behave to be acceptable to society in general, but really I look back and it was teaching me how to be acceptable to men. And I remember, you know, from finding my dad's hidden Playboy collection at 10 years old to being 
the lucky one selected by the popular guys to be the flavor of the month, week, day, you know, back in high school, I internalized at a very young age that the people I most needed to impress to have my needs for safety, love and acceptance met was men. Yeah. And that was pretty ouchy, you know, to learn. But this patriarchal indoctrination is so insidious. You know, I look back and see from my mid-teenage years onwards that there was this gradual stripping back and disowning of those parts of me that I consider now to be intrinsically of my feminine nature, my embodied wisdom and confidence, my creative expression, my sensuality and eroticism. And when I speak, when I speak to eroticism as a child, I'm not speaking about a sexual proclivity. I'm speaking to the natural renewable life force energy that we all possess before our culture shames us into fragmenting ourselves for our own protection. I basically rejected the most powerful aspects of myself to ensure I would be worthy of love. For me, this led me right into a deeply unhealthy and abusive relationship of almost five years that now almost 20 years later, (laughs) I'm still working to heal and reclaim the facets of me that were taken and harmed because regardless of how much talk therapy and intellectual processing I did around it in my late 20s and early 30s, my body still remembers. Although in the past five years, I've been on a profound journey of healing through embodiment and somatic modalities. I'm still aware that my nervous system and my body's ability to detect threat has been like, it's been out of whack ever since. Not to mention the ways in which I've been habituated to protect myself, particularly through freezing and associating and through fawning and appeasing when I feel overwhelmed or unable to express what I need. You know, this has served to perpetuate these early power imbalances in other relationships and areas of my life, you know, including my marriage. So I wanted wanted to share some of my background with you because if your grief has brought you here, I want you to know that nothing in our human experience, no emotional response or patterning that occurs ever happens in isolation. Never. And the sensual alchemy philosophy rests on the notion that as women on a deep identity level in this culture, Loss is something that happens to us since the moment that we're born. And the grief of these identity losses stemming from the fear, shame and indoctrination against expressing the fullness of our feminine will impact how we meet other losses, other grief in our lives. Now, if you're feeling like, 
whoa, this feels huge. I don't know if I have the capacity to even contemplate this, then you'd be right. Yes, it is huge. It is huge and tangled and so important for us as women to acknowledge the deep well of grief that lies within us underneath those losses that are more willingly accepted by society, like bereavement, like divorce, terminal illness, for example. So let me give you some examples of how these losses to my feminine identity have been further illuminated, I guess, when met with the situational losses that have happened to me in recent years. So a big one, the biggest one is the death of my sister. My sister Sarah died three years ago now from brain cancer and the five years preceding her death were extremely traumatic and grief-stricken for me and, of course, my whole family as we navigated various diagnoses and surgeries and the outcomes of these surgeries alongside her. And, of course, it was the most traumatic and grief-stricken for my sister herself. And to witness that for her was just unexplainable. And... I guess if I have anything to be grateful for, it is that in years before she died, I had already begun my training and practice in feminine embodiment coaching and more integrated somatic therapeutic approaches. So I was able for the first time in my life to begin to develop some embodied literacy around what was kind of going on for me emotionally. And although her death completely floored me and in many days and many days it still does right up until you know yeah the last uh the last minute it, it still affects me constantly the awareness of and capacity to meet my own grief that I had been cultivating over this time it gave me a kind of bandwidth and a language to work with So there's that. And despite that, my sister's death continues to catalyze this unfolding of of who I am, particularly this unfolding of the good girl in me. There's this spotlight on where I have so willingly in the past abandoned my own needs and desires for the comfort of others. And the armory that I wear to protect myself from truly being seen because that fear of rejection is still so strong. And, and I've kind of come to know that I will come to understand that Sarah's death catalyzes those things in me for a number of reasons. The first one being because the death of a loved one will inevitably force you to reflect on your own mortality and life choices through the lens of how fragile life is and how quickly it can be taken from us. And the second one is because, because Sarah died at 30 years old, she was like 
the quintessential maiden in my eyes. And I mean this with such love and adoration. You know, she lived this glorious, adventurous life within a partnership that most of us would be so deeply envious of and had this innocence about her. She was always so curious and fun and spirited. And she longed for babies. She wanted babies since she was in her early 20s. And it was actually after coming off the contraceptive pill and beginning to try for a family without success that her first brain tumour was found after some blood tests. I recently come into a new relationship with my sister in her death where it used to feel like we were both maidens together. Even when I was a mother and she wasn't, we were still sharing a similar energy, this kind of ungrounded, eternally optimistic, externally focused kind of energy. And since she initially became unwell and then subsequently died, I've been moving into a very different embodied and energetic space called there both because of my mothering journey personally, because of my age and because of my grief. The lights went out for me when Sarah was diagnosed. The world went dark and mean and cold and this flicked a switch on in me to really question and know myself and my place in the world. Now that I was no longer under this enchantment of maidenhood, you know, while she was healthy and alive and, and we were sisters together in that, in that kind of shared archetypal energy. And subsequently many layers of my sexual trauma and losses around my feminine identity namely how I'd abandoned my creative desires and sensuality surfaced in that time in a very big way, big way. So that's obviously, you know, <laughs> that's a huge, but I also wanted to speak to some other losses I've experienced over the past few years that have been so pivotal in the culmination of my work now and my offerings to you in this community moving forward. So the third loss that has shaped me and guided me to where I am now was a surprise pregnancy that turned into a devastating miscarriage at 10 and a half weeks pregnancy back in 2017. And this entire experience of an initial unwanted pregnancy that came at a really bad time, followed by this process, this, this gradual acceptance and calibration towards continuing with the pregnancy and feeling really positive and, and welcoming it, and then ultimately finding out that there was no heartbeat and then miscarrying naturally at home. This was yet another rite of passage for me and opportunity to really see how I'd been shaped by society to fill certain roles and responsibilities and how 
culturally, you know, we're all just so shitty at grief, (laughs) most of us, particularly when it comes to something like pregnancy loss and how easily it is dismissed as not a real loss because it wasn't a full-grown baby, you know, like that whole experience cracked me open completely. It was really what brought me back into my body and led me back to dancing and exploring my creativity. It really felt like an initiation into the dark feminine as well. And I still pray to my unborn baby, thanking them for moving me towards my own embodied liberation. Yeah. So the fourth and final, well, actually it's more, (laughs) there's quite a few tangles here. Yeah. I'll pull them together because they are all health issues that I continue to feel an immense amount of grief around and they all involve my lady bits. Yes. I am very lucky. (laughs) very lucky like that. My pussy has called me home louder and louder with HSV2 back when I was 21, uh, then an autoimmune disease called lichen sclerosis after a miscarriage, after the miscarriage I spoke about, and most recently pre-cancer of the cervix, which I, I underwent a successful surgical procedure to clear. So I wasn't joking when I said that my pussy has been calling me home louder and louder each time. And in my case, I truly believe that my body has been working really hard (laughs) to get me to pay attention to certain dynamics that were bringing disease into my life. And it's no accident that my vulva and vagina have been where this disease has shown up considering the sexual boundary ruptures that my body was holding onto for so long. And these separate diagnoses have all brought me so much personal grief and have all been, as I said, very clear messengers. They have all demanded that I reclaim my wholeness, my vitality, and figure out what pleasure is for me. And this has been an extraordinary journey. And I can finally say after many, many years that right now I am both reveling in the wonders of my body and holding non-negotiable embodied boundaries in ways that feel honoring, loving, and respectful. And it feels really, really good. (sighs) Wow. (laughs) Well, speaking of feelings, I'm not actually sure how I feel after sharing all these things so intimately with you. As I sit here now, there's this current of electricity pulsing through my belly and my chest and up into my throat. (laughs) And it feels really liberating and enlivening. And I also suspect that once I hit publish on this episode, there'll be 
somewhat of a vulnerability hangover to contend with. (laughs) But I I really do want to show up on this podcast as a full human, not just a voice offering shiny ideas and polished solutions and strategies around grief and pleasure, because that's just weird, you know, like it felt like such a deep calling for me to bring the Sensual Alchemy School and this podcast to life in a way that offers absolute comfort, safety, and an accurate representation of how fucking strange and complex life can be, particularly in the context of our losses and our longings. Yeah. So I began this episode sharing with you, I suppose, more of a macro view of my experience growing up, breaking down a little of the cultural, social and political soup that I believe we're all swimming in when it comes to our bodies, our expression, our sensual and sexual identities under patriarchy and yeah, and and how it how that impacts on us and and how we go about revealing ourselves in the world. And then I shared four specific losses in my life that illuminated my relationship with my body, my grief and pleasure, and how I've been able to perceive these threads so tightly woven around each other in my life personally. And ultimately, as I've been exploring, learning and healing along my own personal journey, this has informed the path of my further studies and training. So I'm really excited to bring you some of the unique and powerful creative projects I've been working on to support you in your life. This podcast being just one of them, which reminds me as a thank you for listening and supporting my work. I have a beautiful free offering for you over at my website, kateleeper.com. And I'll also pop it in the show notes. And this is a 25-minute audio experience called Beheld and Behold. And it's like a little slice of time for you to drop into your body. Let me seduce you into safety and like an embodied release. It's a gift from me that I hope will become a treasured gift for you whenever you're in need of a gentle, loving process to be with what aches and what brings you to life. So go ahead and, yeah, grab that for yourself because we all need tools in our toolbox. We need things that we can easily access to really create space for all, all that uh, moves within us. All right, dear ones, thank you so, so, so much again for being here. And please, if there's anything that really connected with you today, uh, if we share a similar experience or, you know, you're just kind of, um, you're connecting with for any reason, please reach out. Anything that that will help me feel less alone is super welcome, of course, but I just feel like these conversations need to be had. So I am absolutely here for it. You can find me over at at kate.leeper 
on Instagram. Okay. Well, have a beautiful, beautiful rest of your day. Bye. Thank you for joining me today on the Sensual Alchemy School podcast. If you found this episode supportive or something landed for you here, please share it with your friends, family, and anyone who you feel might benefit. If you're loving this podcast, I'd be so grateful if you'd leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to ensure that we can keep bringing you the conversations you need. And if you want to connect, please find me at kateleeper.com or over on Instagram at kate.leeper. I'd love to hear from you.